The amount of strength it takes to choose to be alone instead of poorly surrounded is extremely underrated. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear shit shows. How are we doing for any new listeners? My name is Andrea. I am a total shit show. I am the captain of this ship. Welcome aboard. Week two of me doing this on video. Well, just doing this on video for myself. So the intention here or in the near future to always have this podcast be on YouTube, but I'm more so doing this because when I'm recording myself on video, I can't overanalyze, stop, re-record, which I have a pattern of doing. So this worked out pretty well for me last week, except for the part where I sounded like I was underwater. I think I'm sounding better today, but we're gonna, we're gonna give this another go because this made my life a whole hell of a lot easier last week when I just did this in, oh, it was a one-stop shop. It was a one full swoop, and that does not make any sense at all. But guess what, folks? This is a point where I would stop and I would re-record and I'm not doing it. We're just gonna continue to go with the flow. So if you are new to this podcast and you're wondering what the hell an adult child is, Well, allow me to tell you, an adult child is somebody who grew up in an alcoholic or dysfunctional family whose unresolved childhood shit is surfing out and playing out in adulthood and not in a good way. Now, a lot of people think that this term adult child is only applicable to people who grew up in an alcoholic family. That is not the case. There are many different types of dysfunctional families that can produce an adult child whether that is having narcissistic parents or growing up in a perfectionistic type family, a very controlling or authoritarian type family, a hyper-religious family. You name it, it probably produces an adult child. So welcome aboard. You're in the right place. Hopefully (laughs) you'll find out soon if you're not. I'm an acquired taste and we curse around here. I like to say fuck, so you've been warned. So today, we are diving deep with Anna Maria. Yes, just Anna Maria. I wanted to see if I could find a last name anywhere. I couldn't. So we're just going, we are joined by the guest formerly known as Anna Maria. (laughs) So she is a trauma-informed life coach. She works with, I mean, her her target audience, her target clientele is shit shows like us. So she's one of us. She's an adult child. She is navigating and going through this healing process right along with us. I I got connected to her through friend of the pod, Tiffany Carter. Ever since I've met Tiffany, she's told me about Anna Maria. And it wasn't until just now that I asked her to be on the podcast and It's so clear why this was the exact perfect timing for her and I to connect because we are both 
going through it with our parents and navigating this really complex healing process of, you know, grieving your childhood while also simultaneously grieving your parents while they're still alive. This really complicated and painful process of choosing yourself, choosing your healing, choosing your inner child while simultaneously feeling so much damn guilt while doing so. This very complex process of trying to do whatever you can to have a relationship with your family who is still steeped in the dysfunction, the denial, the disease, doing whatever you can to to try to make it work and just have it not work. And boy, is this a, a painful process. And it definitely made me feel a whole hell of a lot less alone by having this conversation with her. So I know you guys are going to get so much out of this. This is just like two shit shows, talking, connecting, being real, really authentic, very vulnerable conversation between her and I. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this. I'm struggling, folks. This is a really painful time for me. And yeah, I'm just going to keep sharing my along this journey as it unfolds. The one thing that I do know for sure is that what I'm experiencing right now is going to result in some really good podcast episodes in the future. <laughs> some good stories, some good podcast episodes and content for in the near future. So again, thank you so much for this opportunity to just fully be myself and to be so unconditionally accepted and supported and loved by all of you because, you know, there is this part of me being in this role, feeling this pressure that I need to present myself as, a, as if I have it all together and that I, I have all this shit figured out and that, um, yeah, maybe I struggle, but I don't struggle that much. And the reality is, is that I'm really fucking struggling right now. And it's scary and um, it's really painful. But what I do know is that I have been through experiences like this in the past. And what has come on the other side has been so incredibly beautiful and worth the pain, but enough's enough already. <laughs> enough's enough. I've had enough. But again, thank you for allowing me to be the shit show that I am. And again, I feel so incredibly honored to have this opportunity to, to be such a shit show and to heal in, in such a public way. So let's get the damn show on the road. But first, Let's talk about why you, yes, you need to damn the Join Shit Show. This is my online support community where I have four weekly Zoom support groups. I want to go over the times right now just because I continuously get emails about this. I also have this included in the show notes, the times of the groups, but I will just say it now. So these are all in Eastern 
standard time. So we meet on Sundays at 3.30 p.m. We meet on Monday nights at 8.30 p.m. The Monday night group is our uh, loving parent guidebook meeting. We meet on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. We meet on Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Wednesday evenings at 8.30 is when the CSA, the Childhood Sexual Abuse Survivors Group is. There's also some divorce and separation small groups that are going on in the community as well. My hope is that as we continue to grow, that we can have more of these small group shoot-offs, offshoots, additional meetings there. So I do just want to give a shout out to the newest members of the shit show community. So thank you, thank you, thank you to the following fine ass shit shows. Shelly, Lauren, Vivian, Brandy, Jennifer, Lydia, Ashlyn, Sierra, Kelly, Claire, Hollis, Beth, Christian, another Kelly, Saskia, Ashley, Candace, Liz, Gwen, Abby, Jenny, Yvonne, Kelly, Allie, Lauren, Marley, Jekka, Julia, Kelsey, Joni, Amber, Nina, and Deborah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How about the rest of y'all? Follow suit and damn the joint shit show. What the hell are you waiting for? Hop on this crazy ass shit show ship. Shit show ship, shit show ship. See the link in the show notes to join. Next, give me a follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Adult Child Pod. And last but not least, Give me a damn five-star rating on Apple on Spotify. It is required around here. Thank you. Love you all. Is it Anna Maria or Anna Maria? I mean, Anna Maria, and I'm originally from Romania, and my name's Anna, but like nobody calls me that, so it's Anna. No, because I'm Andrea. And it is a big ass pet peeve if somebody calls me Andrea or Andrea. So you deserve that right as well. How do you want me to say your name? And we're going to say it correctly. Anna Maria. Yes. Okay. Let's go for that. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Let's say your name correctly. <laughs> Does it not bother you at all? Well, I came to the U.S. when I was 10 years old, so it's been like over 30 years. I so got you. I, I'm at least happy they're not botching it more than that. So it's good. It's Shit. Good. So life coach, healing strategist, and friend of friend of the pod, Tiffany Carter. Tiffany's mentioned you to me ever since I've met her. So, so glad that we can finally chat and do the damn thing. Yeah, I know. I'm excited. Thank you for having here and you know what I have to say other than thank you when you said when I saw that it's called adult child uh-huh. that like I was just like that is so yes that's like bullseye target like I feel like we're all adult children right yeah well are you familiar with the term you mean in uh, from like the ACA like adult children yeah. of alcoholic and dysfunctional families I've I have heard of it. I have clients who attend those meetings, but I think that just hearing adult child and that is it, it just sums up like, I don't know, life. No kidding. We're all adult children. Right. Which is largely why I started the podcast because everybody needs to fucking know about it. <laughs> Good for you. Okay. So here's where I want to start. 
so you mentioned you came here at 10 years old, but we'll go back to all that and everything entailed there. I want to know what was the moment in which you realized that your childhood fucked you up a lot more than you thought it did? 10 years ago, I had some sort of a physical breakdown of sorts. I've suffered with anxiety and panic attacks my whole life. And I had like an adrenal crash of sorts mm. where I getting adrenaline and I just tremors and it wouldn't stop for like weeks. So I went to the ER and the doctor told me, here's some medication and go see a therapist. And I was like, what? I thought like there's something wrong with my magnesium levels or iron. I don't know, something, right? You think it was all physical at that point? Yeah. Like he's like purely physical. Yeah. And antidepressants and therapist, when I'm coming here, like I can't stop shaking and I have tremors. And I found that bizarre, but because that's like the only prescription he gave me, I went for it. Like when you're besides yourself, you do what they say. And when I ended my first session with my therapist, I told her what was happening. And then she pulls out like this flip chart from Janina Fisher. She studied with Janina Fisher of like trauma effects on your body and how it's not always memories, but it's symptoms, somatic symptoms, physical symptoms. And I remember like my jaw dropped because I had like most of them. And she said, you know, like anxiety disorder, panic disorder, whatever. But what she said was like, sweetheart, you have developmental trauma. You've had a terrible childhood. And that's when I realized like the magnitude of it. And it, it felt so big and so hard to like, I didn't know where to begin. That it's just been a journey ever since. So did she know anything about you at that point? She asked me a few questions and I, you know, about parents and this and that. So she got a quick gist of it, but yeah. Had you ever been in therapy before? I'm assuming not. No, no, because my mother thought that it would be the worst thing to do. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it was not. It, my parents were not North American psychology friendly. Mm -hmm. So when she said those words to you, it's because you had a terrible childhood. Were you willing to like that just sunk in immediately or was there some resistance there? Well, I, I'm a person who's very like practical and logical and I love common sense and things need to make sense for me, which later on I learned it's sort of a trauma response of trying to understand everything. So when she said that, and my background originally was like, corporate and economics, I couldn't put the two together. Like it just, my brain was like, I cannot compute, you know? <laughs> so that's what eventually led me to go down this rabbit hole of trying to understand it. And I kind of became like her favorite student instead of class, because I would go to my weekly sessions with her, but then I'd like take courses and read books and go to seminars and do all that. Cause I just could not believe that something like childhood, if it is adverse, could affect you in such a life-altering, unfortunately negative way in adulthood. And another thing that had me going was that I knew my childhood was painful. I didn't realize like the scope of it, but I always knew the back of my head. And it got, it, it was like, I will not let it ruin my adulthood. So that's why I went to like learn it more and more about it because I was refusing. Like if it has my past, over my dead body, will it take my future? That's kind of my reaction to it. 
What was your understanding of the word trauma at that point in time? It was a learning process because to me, trauma was like war zone. Going to war. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I was in a political revolution that was very similar to a war zone for, oh, I don't know, a few weeks when I was eight years old. So I thought that was it. So I talked to her about that. But then the more we unpacked earlier childhood, it was like, oh my gosh, even things like emotional neglect or things like that are considered trauma. But yeah, my past is very, my childhood has been abundant in events that have contributed to this trauma umbrella that has sent me on a healing journey. So talk about your experience of coming here, like moving to America and kind of what was your mindset? How did you feel? You probably didn't know any English, I'm assuming, or very little. And kind of what was your understanding, I guess, of of the experience at large? It was scary, but exciting. It was something that you know, you're taken by all the new sites and all the new things that we didn't have back in Romania. Communism had just ended. The country was like completely poor and stable. So coming here and seeing like, I remember going to the grocery store and seeing like fruits lined up in like, you know, oranges and apples and bananas. It like blew my mind. I've never seen like frozen pizza before that you could take. Like it was just so, it was exciting in those parameters. There's also like, we went to New York City. So all of a sudden, now I'm seeing different races, different languages, like multicultural. It was so eye-opening. And it was like, wow, there's such a wild, abundant world outside of what I thought my universe was. But that, at the same time, entailed that my parents were going through their own adjustment process. And stress heightened in the household, which kind of brought more from instead of childhood trauma, at this point it was like teen trauma and so on and so forth. How would you describe like your family's breed of dysfunction? I would say that, so my dad is traumatized. He was raised by a army general and then his mom was a medical doctor and she died when he was 13. And then after that, his dad kind of like left him on his own during his own grieving period of his wife. So My dad doesn't have a lot of like emotional literacy awareness. I wish he would have get tested. I think there's some like some like you got to explain to him things that happen because he doesn't know how to emotionally read a room. So like and he's like 66 now. So that clearly there was no emotional attunement and nurturing and, you know, connection really with him. And then my mom and her dynamic, I'm not really exactly sure what happened in her household because there was no like specific event, but whatever it was, she was more self-absorbed in her own life. And I kind of felt like I was a chore in the sense of like, you know, I got to clean, I got to cook, got to take care of Anna, clothe her, feed her. But in terms of like emotional presence, she was also distracted with her own stuff as well. So I find that, you know, co-regulation and being seen was very hard in my household because they were just not available for that. And then short tempers when my dad was very short tempered. And in order to survive that, like my mom would oftentimes, you know, save herself, but not me because it's like, 
we got to survive the bully, right? So it would throw me under the bus sometimes so that she could save herself. So it was a very dysfunctional, toxic, it's kind of like a spaghetti bowl of a lot of things mixed together. Can you think of moments when you started to betray your true self, like in order to survive, like as a kid, like, can you remember those moments of when you develop certain coping strategies or dissociation tactics and really started separating from who you were at your core? I always, it's interesting for me. I've always known that like, I have this flame inside of me that always wants to fight for justice. So I knew early on that things were not right. I just had no information of comparison. Like I couldn't compare with other kids. My form of escape was daydreaming and playing. Like I would be, I would play by myself with my dolls and in my own little world. And then when I grew up and started going to school, like my mom would walk in many times and go, are you studying at your desk or are you looking out the window? Like I'd be lost for like 20 minutes staring out the window daydreaming. And I would always daydream of good, pleasant, wholesome, joyful, hallmark type of, you know, feels, things like that sort of stuff. Because I think that I needed to balance out how I didn't realize I was actually feeling inside. But inside of me, I always knew that this is wrong. Wherever I am, it's not right. I knew something's not right about it. And my goal was always do good in school, get the hell out of here and be independent because you're going to be free of it. And so leading up to the incident of going to the emergency room, I mean, what were the circumstances like in your life? Like, was it showing up in other ways other than just like overworking? Like, were you seeing it reflected in your relationships, in your career? Like, what did that look like? A hundred percent. Like I said, my focus was to do great in school, you know, graduated university, cum laude with honors. And then I thought that the world is just going to be a, a warm, fuzzy place because the bad place was in my household. But then I learned in time that the world isn't a warm and fuzzy place. So you needed tools in order to navigate that. And I didn't have those tools because that's not what I was equipped with growing up. Those were not things that my parents taught me. And so I ended up making wrong decisions because I didn't have the proper tools and life skills. So then, you know, obviously I ended up marrying a very toxic individual who himself was very traumatized and I feel like our pain points kind of like united us and the relationship was extremely the marriage and relationship was extremely toxic as we were both navigating our pains and then I had a child early on so you know I was busy that took a toll on me physically as well being pregnant giving birth and then being a working mom so my job I I I remember <laughs> the lady from Human Resources had told me that I had like the toughest VP in the company. Like, how how do you work with him? And I vividly remember I said, oh, oh my gosh, I'm so used to it. Like, he's so much like my dad. Don't worry, I'm fine. But it was just, I didn't, now that I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had surrounded myself with the same dynamic. Like I was outside of the household, but I like, I recreated my family all over again through my 
job, through my marriage, through everything. So even some friendships. And then the body keeps the score, as Bessel van der Kolk said, and my body just decided it had enough. I think it's pretty remarkable that you were, because it sounds like you were pretty open to this new information, like almost immediately. And I would think from a cultural perspective, I think that that's pretty profound, you know, because especially if like not having experience in therapy, not having parents who were open to, you know, being vulnerable in that respect and and emotional healing. I think it's really quite profound that you were so open to receiving the information so quickly. I think it's because I like information. So I use it. I find it very like powerful. So as long as it came in an informative way, it was fantastic. But also I was longing for relief. I was also raised, you know, no medication. I didn't do drugs because I'm, I tend to want to have control. And so I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs because losing control for me would heighten my anxiety disorder. So I basically never had any relief. So I was yearning for relief. And before my breakdown happened, I remember that year I said, I will need to get to the bottom of this. I cannot live like this with this anxiety and irrational fears and panic attacks for the rest of my life. I didn't know I called into existence an imminent breakdown that would send me down the rabbit hole of healing. But I think I had been yearning for it for so long and knowing that something was off since I remember I have memories going back to like when I was three and a half. So I knew something was wrong since back then. And to finally get answers through information in a therapeutic context was like I had found the holy grail for me. You know, what's also really interesting and lucky for you is that like to be paired with a therapist right off the bat who understood this shit because so many don't. Yeah. And that's 10 years ago. Like Instagram did not have, you know, viral hashtags and stuff like that. When I started working, I actually decided to, you know, bite the bullet and do this work because I couldn't believe how many people were telling me of like terrible therapy experiences. And my therapist has suggested to me seeing my thirst for this and how passionate I was about it. She suggested to me if I want to become a therapist myself. And I said, I'd love to, but I'm too proactive. So I can't be, you see how proactive I am as a client. I would be the same way sitting in the other chair. So every single one of my clients, (laughs) right? So then I decided to go down this route because I couldn't believe how many people would try to get help. Mm. And then they'd come out like crying. I have so many clients who tell me that they've been re-traumatized by whatever some therapist told them. And it's so sad and heartbreaking because if there was trauma, to reach for help is a huge catalyst in your journey. And then to reach for help and get smacked down again is worse, if not equal, if not worse than the original trauma was. Because you finally summoned after like being thrown on the ground, you finally summoned some strength and trust and hope to reach for help. And then it's the wrong thing or it further hurts you even deeper. I am very blessed in that my therapist resonated with me with that and kind of like 
was, and I've, I've only had her for 10 years until she retired. Wow. Were you still in married at that point in time? Yes. Mm -hmm. And how old was your child? Seven. Seven. Wow. Okay. So I want to hear about like, how did this all unfold? Like, tell me about what did early healing look like for you? Early healing was like, I remember every time I was like, wow, wow. You know, just, she would gently give me information, but also it felt interesting because for the first time ever, somebody was listening to me because as I was growing up, nobody was listening to me. Not everything I said was belittled and mocked any of my ideas as, as I was older and oh, whatever. And then my ex-husband didn't care about any of my opinions. Same thing. So same kind of thing. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in therapy and what I say matter or she'd be impressed. And it felt really good. It felt really good. And she, like my dad told me all the time that I'm dumb and stupid and an idiot. So she would, I would say certain things and then she'd be like, oh, wow, Anna Maria, that's so intelligent of you. I, That's incredible. Have you ever had your IQ checked? And I was like, what? Me? So even though I had the great grades, the, you know, university degree with honors, I never believed that I had any, I, I think I felt worthless. So she, in listening to me, she it she made my thoughts and my opinions feel valuable so that that was really good and having that experience alongside her feeding me information here and there about trauma and so on and so forth it it was able to blossom into a great relationship that i had with my therapist and at the end of the day i think it was sure the informational and all that but it's the relationship itself that was healing because I didn't have anything like that up to that point. What about, was there an understanding at that point in time as far as how it was impacting your daughter? My son. Sorry. My, yeah, we would talk about him too, but I had learned with her that you know, like trauma happens when you're like between birth and seven years old. I think 10 years ago, they were saying like seven, your brain is in like a hypnotic data state. So then it just absorbs the, the, the program that's running around you. So when I learned that with her, the first thing I did, like, I remember from then on, I was like, okay, I have a little window left with my son. So I try to normalize like the concept of therapy for him. I did everything opposite of what I was taught in terms of like, seek help if you need it. I'm here for you, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw some of the ways that I may have made mistakes in, you know, trying to overcompensate for how my dad was with me. Maybe I wasn't, you know, strong, like strict enough with my son and so on and so forth. So I try to teach him like kind discipline because I didn't want to become my dad. So I was like, okay, let's do discipline, but with kindness and compassion. So yeah. And I hope that as time progressed these last 10 years, they were like, it's not from birth to seven, it's from birth to 10 years old. And now they're saying maybe possibly teen. So I'm hoping I put some seeds in there so that history doesn't repeat itself. And, you know, the chain has of trauma has been broken with me, I hope. <laughs> At least it started. Yeah. What did it, so then how did things unfold with your husband? Well, I started healing, but 
And I suggested, you know, I would share with him information, but he was so not open to it. Was he and foreign I, as well? Yes, he's, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he was from, he is from Mexico. So okay. for him, all of this stuff, like it, it just didn't jive with him. And then me wanting like this more gentle interaction between us and he was brought up like old school Mexico you know the man of the house and the woman type of thing so we didn't match in those things anymore in my household my mom would tend to submit to my dad and that's what I had done which would was making me progressively sick so I didn't want to be submissive anymore I didn't want to go into that fawn submit and attach now I was working with my therapist on my fight part on my healthy anger and my flight part, like if something doesn't feel safe and you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, you could leave. You're not stuck. You're not frozen because I would spend a lot of my time in freeze, functional freeze. So, um, yeah, things that he tried to kind of take me on as this new person I was growing. But like my therapist told me, you guys are either going to be together or you won't at the end of this. And something along the lines of you either grow together, or you grow apart. And I thought we were growing closer, but five years in it, he kind of said, I'm done. I can't play this anymore. It's not for me. Like I'm not, if things are not going to go back to the way they were, then I'm not happy. So, and I said, well, I'm not going to do the things that were done before. I, my, I've changed and grown. I can't go back. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So we parted ways, but since then he's gone on his own healing journey. And because in a way I feel like maybe he was a little envious that I'm getting my healing and he's still stuck with the trauma, but he's gone on his own healing journey, different modalities, therapies, not for him from what he said, but I hope he finds peace and happiness and harmony because we all deserve it. Were you an anxious attacher? Yes. And he was avoided. Uh -huh. And had that, what, what did your relationships look like prior to him? Same. I basically, well, my therapist said I, I have disorganized attachment, but like, I think once I'm deep in the relationship, I do get, I'm pretty much anxious, but I, I always said that I would be intrigued by characteristics in guys that were my father's strengths, but the pain and dysfunction of it would be the characteristics in those guys that would be my mother's dysfunctions. So I would seek my father's strengths and it would be my mother's characteristics of dysfunction in that relationship that would be recreated. And you seek it subconsciously. And it's something to this day that made me angry. Like I'd tell my therapist, even like after me and my ex-husband, we ended things and I started dating. And I'm like, how, how is it possible? Like, I don't want this. This is not what I want. How is it possible that this guy that I'm dating now has the same dynamic? Like, what is it that makes me be attracted to this one? Clearly I want the opposite. And, you know, it took a while to learn that it's the familiarity of things that makes us feel safe, even though it's not real safety, but it's familiar. And that's what we are naturally drawn towards. Yeah. And this, and the whole repetition compulsion of like trying to get a different result, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think for me, 
one of the things that I've like had to come to terms with and accept too, is like the idea of there's certain work that we can do alone. And then there's also other work that can only be done in relationship. And sometimes that's only done in an unhealthy relationship too. I agree. I actually coined this term about two years ago. Everybody's like so into self-help and self-help is viral and everybody's like the latest book, the latest this, the latest that. But I'm like, guys, you know, this is a great starting point. I started with that too, but the real deal nuts and bolts of healing only happens in interactionship is what I call it because not just like romantic relationships it could be like friendships it could be co-workers it could be your parents so interactionship so that's why I coined this term co-help over self-help because self-help is kind of like a it's, it's pretty much a business industry so if I always said like with the pandemic we were all locked in and we had all the books all the things to read all the webinars all, all of the things and nobody really got exponential <laughs> so then mm-hmm. I said so we need each other and that's why it's it's important that we focus on this magic that happens between two people mm. romantic friendship like I said it could be anything that's why I said earlier in our conversation that I feel that what was the real healing balm in my journey of healing was not just what I learned that helped me cognitively process things, but you know, there's a prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. How do we get those into communication? So you don't flip your lid so often when you're triggered. Well, it's in having different felt experiences where you do get to experience safety and kindness and compassion and warmth and that can only happen in benevolent relationships which is why I said my relationship with my therapist just the relationship itself where we kind of became kindred spirits and friends joking and so on and so forth in our sessions and that was fantastic that's what really healed what did your most like painful emotional flashbacks look like what typically like what's your big trigger abandonment of course (laughs) what did abandonment look like in your childhood oh well clearly that triggered with a big sigh it was my earliest memory of abandonment was when my parents like I said I was in communist Romania it was a tough time there was like supply of food there was scarcity with everything and my parents decided to put me in a military daycare because the military ones were supposedly more equipped with food so they sent me there but I'm not sure how like who filtered and who knew about psychology back then the employees the ladies that took care of the kids were really really toxic and really mean and that's where my primary event-based trauma took place so they were abusing us and they were like we had scissors on a desk and they would say that like they would cut the boys pp and the girls tongues if they don't behave or there was like a syringe and they'd threaten to like inject us if we don't behave like just nonsense like that and at three and a half you don't know that maybe they won't do it like you think that they would and they would 
always threaten you with it. So plus yelling, plus a bunch of other stuff. And I developed a knot in my throat from the anxiety of being dropped there every day. And mm. then time, my that's where my tremors had their initial moment. So I started shaking all the time because probably adrenaline and all the stress and cortisol. And I told my mom, don't take me there anymore. And she kept taking me. And she would drop me off what felt like forever. And then she did that for a year and a half. So I really abandoned and then took therapy to understand that, you know, looking back, sure, it's a year and a half. But when you're three and a half, four years old, it feels half like your life. No, and it feels like eternity. Like you don't know what's going to happen. We get antsy and like anxious now for things to work out our way. And in traffic, we get road rage. So imagine when you're like dropped off in this place that's completely abusive every day by your mother and she just won't hear you out because that's where she would say that I kept sending you there because that's where you had food. And I was like, but I couldn't eat anymore because I was so stressed out. So like, so yeah, it was an unfortunate situation, but that taught me emotionally and also like physically being abandoned. Do you remember the first time in your healing journey having the realization like, oh, this is my abandonment wound getting triggered and kind of talking yourself through the the flashback? Yeah, that was what we would do a lot in therapy. And it, it, it was difficult for me at the beginning to work with child parts. It, it felt weird. It mm-hmm. was hard to yeah. access that. It seems super like corny to me, honestly. Yeah. It was like, what does your, I'm like, I don't know what my inner child is saying. Like what? But in time, I slowly learned how to like ease into that. But it took, it probably took me about a year of weekly therapy to kind of like play along. (laughs) With your parents, what I've come to realize in the past, I don't know, six months or so, is the the spiritual bypassing that I've done that I really didn't think that I did as far as having the realization that our parents are a product of their own upbringing. You know, they're a product of their own dysfunctional upbringing. They're doing the best that they can. And then kind of going straight to the place of like forgiveness and acceptance and really not realizing how much of the anger and the sadness I had watched over. And for me- It's like, I didn't really start thawing out until about a year ago. So I've been doing this work since 2018, but I didn't really start crying until about a year ago. And so it finally is now coming up, like just the, the specifically just like the anger and the sadness, but the anger of being like a 34 year old woman who's already done so much fucking work on herself So I'm curious what your experience was as far as like coming to terms with what your parents did put you through. Oh, uh, so I have so much to say about this. I don't think I was allowed to feel anger in, in the home environment. So it literally felt like my therapist was raising me as, as a child to like feel anger little by little. And this is something I work with all my clients. I'm like, have you tapped into your healthy anger? And everyone's so focused on 
forgiveness, like you said, the spiritual bypassing of it. And I was like, you can't get there if you don't go through the anger, which underneath is a lot of sadness that just magically comes out at once you spend all that anger energy, then the sadness is going to start coming to the surface. But healthy anger is, I find like the tipping, like you start healing, you go on your healing journey. But once you access that healthy anger is when the real juice of it begins. I, I feel like this is where you're, you know, you said you just started coming into that. Well, like now from here on, it's going to be beautiful and exponential because why you do you feel to, that way? You can't, because you can't not, you know, you were wronged in that. I don't know. I, I'm also a mom. I would not have done that to my child. So that's where it gets kind of fucked up as an adult. It's like, well, I'm a parent too. You're giving me all these excuses, but as a parent, I'm not choosing the same thing. Also, the thing that is the most important, like, like I led with my dad had trauma. My mom had, I'm not sure what it was for her, but must have had clearly something. <laughs> something. Yeah. Because none of the kids out of that household came out too happy. But yeah, her brother died of alcoholism and her other brother is estranged to the family. So all three kids have something. But I tried to lead with that grace of understanding for 10 years and their behavior never changed. Mm. So then I said, okay, so not only I, I can understand you went through that, but now I'm telling you things about this and you're not willing to, I'm putting up boundaries. I'm asking you nicely. I'm getting angry with you too. I'm doing all the most things that I would have never done before. And you're still not changing, but I started changing because I couldn't live like this anymore. So then I'm thinking, forgiveness and giving them that grace is fine. But then when do you start taking accountability? Like, dude, when you became an adult, just as I have become an adult, why didn't you choose change and healing? We all have that option. We all have that opportunity of not wanting to suffer ourselves and also not wanting to inflict pain on our children. And when our children are verbally telling us what you said hurt me, or you were hitting me and it hurts and it hurts, you are hurting Hello, like that's if that's not enough of a aha moment for you as a as an adult, as a parent, as a human to be like, dude, I'm doing something wrong. Let me take a few step backs and let me self reflect. Let me use some insight and like see how I can change this. Like how selfish do you have to be and how completely dissociated from the nature of the what's going on do you have to be to like not take a moment and look at your own behaviors and see maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not doing everything wrong, but maybe I'm doing something wrong and let me work on that. Like I would at least appreciate that. But when there's no change whatsoever and it just gets worse and worse, like we were talking, like as they get older, some of them get just worse and worse. It's like, I don't know. It's a hard thing to spiritually bypass anymore. I know. And it's, it's so hard because it's like, to us, it does almost feel like this conscious choice that they're making to not do anything about it versus like, is it really just like complete inability or is it really just that fucking scary or are the walls that are built up just that fucking thick that it's like almost like not even a possibility, you know? All I can say is that when you are informed that you're inflicting pain on somebody else, when that person is your child and you have absolutely 
no coming to Jesus moment with yourself or no big aha moment, whatever you want to call it, no light bulb, you know, smacking you in the ass to be like, dude, wake up. If that doesn't do it for you, I'm at a point in my life where I'm just like, I can no longer lead with grace. I'm sorry, but I have no mercy left. Yes. Yes. I'm getting there. <laughs> I feel like I'm there too. So talk about what navigating this relationship, like with your parents has looked like, I mean, have there been periods where you've gone no contact? Like I'm sure starting in the beginning, again, especially given like your cultural background, like I'm sure this stuff was like really dicey and really scary, you know? Oh yeah. They didn't, they didn't want to tell anyone that I'm going to therapy. My mom was like, she had to drive me to therapy at the beginning. Cause I was so unwell physically. And my therapist was like, wow. Cause my mom was more worried about like her makeup and her outfit than the fact I can't drive myself to therapy. So my therapist was like, wow, your mom, mom looks fantastic. And she's so, wow, that's incredible. Meanwhile, I'm like, besides myself, thankful that I showered. And she didn't want to tell anyone that I'm doing therapy. I started talking about it openly because I wanted to take the stigma away. And it's something that I had to navigate kind of despite being shamed for doing it. So not only was I ill that I had to seek help, but then seeking help, I was shamed and, you know, made to feel like terrible for actually doing it. If anything, in therapy, you're supposed to find safety. But my mom would say that therapists manipulate you to brainwash you and to get you to do terrible things. So it's like, I'm trying to find safety and she's brainwashing me that it's dangerous. This American therapist type of notion that I guess in the Eastern communist bloc, that was the opinion but yeah, it's been hard to navigate and to choose myself and my options when I'm at my worst and completely defenseless and helpless. And my mom and my dad would be like against it. I still somehow found some strength to go for that and opt for that instead of, I don't know what they would have done, like lock me up and hide me away. I have no idea. <laughs> I had a kid to raise. My son was seven. I had to get my shit together for him and for myself. And I didn't want to live a miserable life anymore. And as long as I was breathing, I was like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, whatever that takes. Mm -hmm. So what about, and this is so common too, like what has your experience been with as far as like, so desperately wanting to like get through to them and like say it in a certain way that they're going to understand it. And it's finally going to sink in this time. Like what has been your journey with that and kind of coming to a place of like realizing like that there is really nothing that can be like said or done in order for them to be able to like understand what the fuck is going on. The synchronicity of this question hits home right now because I've just had that final realization just a week ago. So over these 10 years, I've gone no contact numerous times for six months to a year at a time. It would usually be circumstances like last one was I broke my knee and I needed help. That's what made me reach out. It's not, you know, because I missed <laughs> the toxicity. You? Three years ago. Yeah, they did. And it's really hard to navigate because I tried to tell them in English. I tried to tell them in Romanian. I tried to tell them in Romanian articles, Romanian videos off of YouTube, English, like not even from my mouth because I know that what I say has no value and they dismiss it. But I would try to find 
articles and things that other people would say that hopefully would, they wouldn't even open it. Like, and it got to a point where I would make jokes that have you even opened my email? Have you even checked the link I sent you? And then it, it just felt like a never ending task. And I still somehow held hope. It, there's, it's really hard because it is your mother and your father. And I feel like there's a primal something in you. For me, it was like a sense of duty that I had, I felt towards them as the child to like keep that relationship going. Alive, yeah. A sense of responsibility. I didn't want to do anything wrong because then I have a high sense of shame. And if I would screw up and it would be my fault because I didn't keep in touch with them, then I would just feel so awful for the rest of my life in my own self without even anyone telling me. But this last holiday season was the breaking point where I realized that I've been talking for the past six months about how old age their old age will be because my mom's 70, my dad's 66. And I'm like, how am I going to take care of them when they're so hurtful? How do I bring them in my home when they're going to be older? Just thought went there. And a friend of mine said, oh, of course, I'm going to take care of my mom. I love her. How could I not take care of her? And I was like, oh, my God, you said you love her. That never crossed my mind. I'm doing it out of sense of duty and responsibility. Never have I attached the word, of course, I love them. Of course, I'm going to stay with them. And that's when I was like, I don't love anything about my parents. I don't love their values. I don't love their behaviors. I don't love their mannerisms. There's really not much that I love. I could say I love that of what they do and what they believe in. I don't hate them, but I certainly don't love them. And that has been an aha moment where I was like, have I been defining love wrongly all these years because that's what your parents are? And maybe my relationships in the future from here on forward are going to take a different note. So you spent, what do you say, you were with them for 10 days? Uh-huh. what does your interactions like with them look like? Like, what are the dynamics? Very explosive with my dad. I posted about this on my Instagram. Like I took a picture of me. I took a selfie at the beginning. I sent a friend, oh, look at my hair. And I happened to have taken a selfie then to document it. And then I took a selfie at the end. And I literally, like my face looks discombobulated by the end of 10 days. Mm. Uh, my son is a little bit like my dad and dad. I think he inherited some of that oppositional defiance and that my dad has. So my I've never, I always had to submit in order to attach to safety in my household. So I always submitted to my dad. My son doesn't. So it was very scary. We were on the highway and my son wasn't doing as my dad was saying. And he even dared to speed a little bit more than my dad had said. My son was driving and my dad wanted to like jump out of the moving car on the highway. And if it wouldn't have been for child lock in the car, like he was screaming like a, like beyond. I've never seen him lose his mind like that. And then he was like pulling on, like he wanted to get out of the car twice. And if child lock wouldn't have been on, I definitely would be here today to talk about it. And that to me was like, he did that twice. And I think two times in my life, no, three times he did it once with me and my mom. When I was like in my teens, we were on the highway and my mom was arguing about something and he got angry. So he mocked that he's going to hit like the middle of the highway divider with us in it. 
And then that was really scary. And then another time he mocked that he's going to hit a post. And then another time on, on, on a regular street. And then when I had my son and he was a baby and we were talking about like the housing market and he got angry about my opinion, he did something similar, like to like mock a sudden crash with my son as a baby in it. And that's when I lost it. And I said, I'm not never going to get in a car with you. And I didn't let my son get in a car with him for a long time. And I had forgotten because that's like 17 years ago. And now that it happened again, my reaction, not only is it crazy what happened, but my reaction was also fueled by those three other events. And I just said, I, and, and I lost it. Like in that moment, uh-huh. I realized things will never get better. And if I keep bringing myself to this relationship out of a sense of duty or responsibility as, as I felt, I'm putting myself in danger, my son's life in danger. But not only that, like I got so physically ill these last 10 days and I told my parents, I'm like, I, I'm killing myself by being around you. And if you're choosing not to change, I need to change in that I cannot be around you anymore. What is their response to that? Is it like, we have no fucking clue what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And then my mom cried for two minutes and then she snapped out of it, which is usually the case. And it's, And they ended it with, I gave them a bunch of Christmas presents. That's my love language. I give people what I know will is meaningful for them. And, and I had surprised my dad with when we came back to the house, because we were all away. And when we came back to his house, the package was there, like this big office chair for him that I know he would never splurge to buy that for himself. And I bought it for him. And when we left to come back home, my my son and I, they put a wad of cash in front of my face. And I'm they're like, take it. I'm like, for what? They're like, for all the presents. I'm like, I'm not taking it. And they're like, no, you need to take it. We, you know, you spent a lot of money on these presents. We don't want you, you know, like to put the financial strain on you. I'm like, they're presents. That's what they're. So they felt guilty, I think, I think for me telling them that they've hurt me so much that they could not. Like they didn't act to that, but when I topped it off with presents, they felt indebted to me in some way. So they wanted to give me the money and he physically forced it in my face to a point where it triggered me again because he was getting like aggressive. So I just hid the cash in the bathroom cabinet. They don't even know it's there. (laughs) I'm there too, girl. This shit's so fucking nuts. (laughs) It is nuts. And I'm like, after 10 years of weekly freaking therapy... I applied every skill there is to apply and I'm really good at my job. Like the kind of stuff I work with my clients, I'm so good at my job and I know I'm good at my job. And my parents take the cake from all of the stuff I've I've seen in clients for the past five years, going on six years that I've been doing this work. And it's kind of like, you know what, this is really hard and I, I have nothing to go by. I don't see anyone talking about this. The fact that you may not love what your parents do, you may not love your parents. And it's not just about no, going no contact, but like really sit with that and what it means for you in your definition of love. Because I feel from here on, you don't have to hate your parents, but like to recognize that what they're doing to you, they can say they love you, but your response may not mean that you love them back. And maybe the relationships you're going to seek from here on, intimate and friendship and whatnot are going to no longer carry that dynamic once you have that aha moment that this isn't what I want my love 
to look like or to carry with it. Yeah. And it's like, no matter how much we know or know how, no matter how much work we've done, like still like the realization of that, it's so sad, you know, it's so fucking tragic, I think. Oh my gosh. Perfect word. It is tragic. It really is tragic. What did your, your inner child or your inner teenager like need to hear from you? Like in, in those moments while you were up there? My son is, is he does, he's like, mom, just don't give a shit about it. You know how they are. Well, like, I mean, your inner child. He spoke for my inner he child. He spoke for, let's uh, yeah. I never had, I never had that inner child say those things and to hear my teenage son be like mom did you like what he did is crazy it's not acceptable don't feel guilty that like it's nuts and for him to say those things kind of like I was like yeah yeah because I was triggered I was besides myself but I also was fascinated with the fact that it doesn't affect him as much as it does me Mm. but at the same time he he doesn't have to live with them 24 7 he doesn't have the trauma like for him, it's it was a traumatic moment. I had a traumatic existence. I had developmental traumas and daily moment by moment thing. But hearing him say that and kind of like watching him not get so phased by it because I was devastated. And it's only been what, like a week? Like I'm in the depths of grief right now of this tragedy of accepting that I don't think I love my parents. Consciously, I don't love them. Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't hate them. I don't wish them ill. I don't, you know, like none of that. But like, if I expose myself any second more, it's going to become destructive. I'm going to lose my mind or I'm going to like develop sudden onset illness disease because it's just. (laughs) So how are you dealing with the emotions? Like what is helpful for you? What does grieving look like over the past week? I've been, I just like go in and out because I'm busy with work I'm busy with my son getting back into the swing of things after the holidays and I reflect on it and I have like moments where I just pause everything and if something comes to me I process it I cried Uh, I'm no longer crying it's I think it's I'm gonna have to somehow distill this sense of guilt and I don't know how that will go but that's what I'm I'm I would be lying if I would say that I don't have it. I do have a sense of guilt because it is my mother and my father and it is, I am the only child, but at the same time, I have to choose myself and my sanity and my health over this sense of guilt. And that's, that's a tough transaction to make for a child. It is. And, you know, being an only child and it sounds like I haven't really heard you mention really any like extended family and it feels that way for me too. Like it's very, it it's very like lonely, you know, and you feel like an orphan and yeah, God, it's fucking hard. It does feel, you're right, very lonely. And I did say to my therapist like four years ago, I'm like, how do you bury your parents emotionally when they're still alive? And I said that to my mom in this recent trip I'm like my my mom's like I don't understand what caused this blah blah blah. what your dad did it's not that like just don't think about it like they they insist on gaslighting me or insisting on me bypassing it and I said mom this isn't from this trip I had this epiphany like I think four years ago when I told that to my therapist like what child says that like no child should feel that they have to emotionally bury their parents 
while they're still alive because they're they you know and live with that void of what that that eternal void of what that leaves you uh and when I said that to her she's like she didn't say much but she I know her opinion of like rolling her eyes in past conversations and going oh you're a therapist kind of like she feels that my therapist ruined the stability that she thought we had in the household but I was slowly withering away so it wasn't much stability really in reality yeah and it's also kind of this like what the fuck of like you're trying to heal from all of this damage that was like done in the past and then yet you're like simultaneously like dealing with it in the future things ramp up to like another level you know and it's just like really like really (laughs) it is it's really overwhelming and I think that in a way it's oh it's not good but like I think that at least I have a tendency to romanticize the past sometimes so I remember I'd be sitting in therapy and maybe I would have not given myself and my pain as much credit as I have done in practice if they wouldn't be around anymore because maybe I would try to romanticize it in my memory. Whereas for them continuously in the present moment still attacking me and being bullies, it validates me to stand my ground in that, no, this is really fucking sick. That's what it is. It's sickening. And the thing I'm realizing for myself is like, yeah, how much of this present day shit is like just really keeping me from fully grieving and healing from that like child, like how much of a barrier and blockage to my healing is, is this like desire and drive to like, want to try to make things work in a way Mm -hmm. that works for me. You probably have been kind of in a similar position. It's like, how do I make this work in a way that is like not super detrimental and harmful to myself? Like what boundaries do I put into place this or that? And there's been periods of time where it's been okay. Like it's worked, but then it's like, it doesn't. And you're like, what the fuck? I'm so sick of contorting myself into some sort of like image or pup, whatever. Like it's all the work (laughs) that we do to try to keep something alive that is so shitty. It is. I, oh my, you, you nailed it. And when you said that, sometimes it's good. You're right. Cause like before this event, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like it's not good. It's terrible. Yeah, it makes it, meaning it's not poisonous. It's not fantastic. It's not, it's not bad. That's what it is. It's still crumbs. It's still crumbs. (laughs) Exactly. So I think that that also translates in our mind, in our interactionships with other people, because then we have built a a burden enduring. And when we're going through a relationship, let's say a romantic relationship, and it's really shitty, but you're like, those are like red flags you should walk out on, but you don't because you're hoping for that good period to come back because that's what your inertia, your nervous system, your body memory, your heart memory remembers, and it's all it knows in your upbringing. So then you stay during the really ridiculous red flags, hoping for that better time. Not to say that like a healthy relationship doesn't have good or bad, but it does. It shouldn't be this bad. It shouldn't be 
completely discombobulating you emotionally and breaking apart. Like you shouldn't feel like you're drinking poison, you know, and then going to rehab for it. Yeah. Well, I've got that. I, I mean, I've got all of that going on, right? I just got hit by a truck around Christmas. So it's been like shittiest time ever. We both went through like a, the worst Christmas ever, I feel. Well, it's been so bad, but at least you can like, it's so, it's so bad. It's funny. <laughs> you know, it's so bad. It's funny. Just laugh about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so tell everybody what you do, who you work with, what you want to plug, where can people find you, all that fun stuff. My Instagram is Anna Maria Life Coach. My website is AnnaMariaLifeCoach.com. A N A, because I know sometimes there's and not Anna, it's Anna, folks. Anna Maria, just like it's Andrea, not Andrea. Yes. And uh, I work with men, with women, with teens, and I work on burnout, toxic relationships, obviously unpacking adverse childhoods, romantic dating and all of that stuff. Because I basically, if you're stuck, I'm a good resource to tap into because of my experiences with all the crap that I've been through in every category of my life. So it's I've befriended that and it, it really is a beautiful experience to watch others bloom and just flourish once healing begins to happen. I was just thinking about it. I was thinking about how I was messaging you to schedule this. And you're like, I can't do this week. I'm on vacation. <laughs> What I was saying is I'm literally going through hell right now. I was in the hell too. I'm like, girl, you pro- that would have been fun. Oh my gosh. Where like our hair would be like, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm exactly. so glad we connected. Yeah, yeah no. Oh. And, and no, I hope uh, whoever's listening to this, you know, I always say, you're not alone. Hand in hand, we got this. Uh-huh. I've been told by previous clients that they're like, we love that you don't heal at us. You heal mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing with my community right now. I'm just yeah. like, there you go. I don't got this shit figured out. Right, right. And, it. And feeling less alone. Like I said, that relationship is so important. So yeah. It really is. It is the most important thing is like knowing that yeah, we're not alone. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. And I think too, it's, and I can see you're like this too. It's like being able to find the humor in this too, because if we don't, we're going to go nuts. Yes. Like I love the humor of social media. If there's something that, you know, social media is like, there's so many things said about it, but the humor and creativity that comes from humanity on social media is like literally what keeps me going on the darkest days. Yeah. Well, this was very soul filling for me. So I'm glad to know that your life is a fucking mess too. So (laughs) thank you for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I feel like we, we were literally sinking without even knowing while we were sending each other that emails back and forth. We should have been like, girl, are you going through it? Cause I'm going through it too. <laughs>